With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everyone. NBA season is back. It is finally upon us. Strictly Hoop Talk has returned. I almost said Strictly Hip Hop because it's been that long. It's felt like forever. But NBA basketball is back. So I'm doing something fun and new for this. So I'm doing division previews like I do at the beginning of the season since so much has transpired, not only just in life, but just just in just time. Like it, it's been over a whole off season worth of time between the last time we watched an NBA basketball game. So kind of check back in, see where teams are at before the break, and kind of just go from there and talk about what we expect to happen. So I'm doing the division previews, but I'm only including the bubble team. So the teams that are not in the bubble in Orlando, the eight teams, those teams will not be talked about. Maybe I'll do a separate podcast for them after. Um, I'm figuring I'm figuring that out. There's word that they might even do a tournament in um, in, in another city that's not Orlando. They might do like a their own little bubble campus thing. So we'll we'll have to stay tuned for that. But as of right now, the NBA is um, is just bringing back these 22 teams to finish out the regular season. So if a team is not in the bubble, they will not be talked about in the podcast. I will mention that at the top of the podcast, who, uh, who are the teams that aren't in the bubble that won't be talked about for each division as they come up. But the first one is my guy, Tim, a.k.a. Cranches McBasketball. You know him. You love him if you listen to the podcast. Um phenomenal guy and I'm just I'm just really excited because this was a great conversation. I'm excited to get it out to you. We had some interesting perspectives and thoughts on each of the teams. So just some quick housekeeping, uh please just follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Music Board actually. Uh Music Board is a really dope app uh that allows me to kind of share my thoughts and perspectives on music. I do a lot of lists, I write some album reviews, stuff like that. So that's a good way if you're for the hip hop fans, the music fans of this podcast. Um if you want to follow me there, it's the same as my Instagram and Twitter, all the same at real Chris Platty, C H R I S P L A T T E. I know you know how to spell real. So other than that, man, let's get to it. NBA basketball. It's here. It's back. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty, and I am excited because today marks the start of NBA basketball coming back. Now, since it's a restart, we're going to do 
a division preview like we do in the beginning of every season. But, you know, with this obviously being so so different and there being three months off, a lot of people, myself included, need a refresher. So I am back with my man, my guy, Tim, a.k.a. Krangis McBasketball, the, the founder of Basketball Index. Tim, how you doing? I'm good, Chris. Hasn't been too long. Uh, glad glad we're getting back to basketball, and uh, I, I'm glad we don't have to talk about the Warriors today because they they, <laughs> they didn't make the bubble. Yeah, Although bubble. Are they doing the second bubble or not? I, I, yeah. I don't know if that's a good idea, but that that's I think that might be a whole separate podcast. Yeah, that's a that's a whole separate podcast. So for now, we'll focus on the 22 teams that are in the bubble. Um, and maybe do a separate podcast with those teams out of the bubble at a future date. So all these all these previews are going to be, like Tim just stated, uh, going to be covering the teams that are in the bubble. Uh, so that will be for this division, four out of the five teams, the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, Tim, we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. The Suns, who are one of the last teams invited, if not the last team, along with Washington, invited to this uh, to this bubble restart. Six games back from the playoffs. They have no players that are currently opting out of the league um, at this time. Most players are, are, are starting to check into the bubble and have their, have their first night meal and all that. I saw some of the Instagrams, so... I don't expect that to really change as far as the as far as the players opting out. But as of right now, uh, just to state, just to preface it that way, there are none opting out. So, Tim, what is your interesting thought as you get ready to um, watch the Suns come back? So the Suns are going to be th- this answer for them will be a little bit different from the one I'll give for the other three teams because Phoenix isn't in a great position from a making the playoff standpoint. Yep. 538 has them at a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs. Um, and in the eight games they have left, even looking at games where they might be able to take advantage of a team that is, you know, has lost guys that that aren't going to be going to the bubble or is uh, maybe in a position where they'll just be kind of, I don't know, like the Lakers and Clippers, maybe for the first game or two, they may not care. Um, and there are certain teams in the bubble that, We'll be using this more as like a preseason than the you know final stretch of the regular season to make the playoffs. But even then, I don't see too many wins for the Suns. Yeah. So my focus for them is going to be more about what can they do over these eight games that can be a building block for next season. And I think we've seen what DeAndre Ayton can give us. I think we've seen what Devin Booker can give us. Mikel Bridges has had a good year. Um, Ricky Rubio has shown his value. I would love to see another role player for them. Uh, And and I'm going to highlight Cam Johnson as somebody who has some elite NBA abilities, but also has a lot of weaknesses. And if he can just add a second like NBA caliber skill to his toolkit, could be a good piece for them next year. This this is a guy who was a a really strong three-point shooter, no matter if you're looking at pull-ups or catching shooting from the corners above the break. He's taking shots and he's making shots. He has uh, gold badges at, at B-Ball Index for his catching and shooting and also for being a corner specialist. So he has value in that way. And he's also mm-hmm. strong shooting from three off of off-ball screens. So it's not just standing still. But he really needs to add a second aspect to his game. Um, yep. He doesn't need to become like a, a playmaker playmaker. But even if he can become a good playmaker for his role, I think that would make a big difference. Yeah, because uh, if we pull, go, go ahead. Chris oh no, go ahead. Finish your point. 
finish your point. I'll I'll, I'll chime in after. Uh, okay, so looking just at uh, some of his assist data, like he's not um, he's he's not a playmaker. He's not somebody who's really taking hard passes. He's not creating a ton of chances. But even just adjusting for his role as like a spot up wing, if he can be a good ball mover. I think that would add value. Or another way that we could see him take a step forward is he's been a versatile defender, but he hasn't really been an effective one. His impact stats are poor. He hasn't had much activity in terms of like his, uh, if you look at like his passing lane defense, he's not getting deflections. He's not getting uh, interceptions with steals that way. If he can improve upon just his defensive awareness, I think is just from looking at some film, I think if he could, uh, try to understand situations a little better and recognize actions that are happening as they're happening, or maybe even a little bit before they they progress. That would put him in a position because he has the physical tools. Mm-hmm. If he can catch up with the mental side of the game, and and maybe he's had a couple months of film study to try to do that, uh, that would be a, another thing that would really improve his impact on the court. And maybe if they can just bring his defensive impact from like an F to like a a C or a C minus that would help him solidify his role in an NBA rotation moving forward. So I think those are a couple of the areas. Um, another thing is he, he doesn't get to the rim, the rim well, and also doesn't finish well at the rim. So if he can improve either of those, that would also be impactful. So I think one of those three areas, if we can see some progression from Cam Johnson, I think all three of those areas are areas that, you know, lots of reps, lots of practice can help with. Mm-hmm. and could possibly be places he's improved upon over the break. Um, I don't have my hopes super high, but if the Suns can leave the this uh, next eight games without a playoff berth, but with an asset that's gotten a little bit better in Cam Johnson, I, I like the way they're looking for next season. And when we do our uh, Pacific Division season preview next year, he might be somebody we're talking about. Yeah, in another like three months when the NBA season comes back again. <laughs> yep. But... Uh, but no, I, I I agree with you. I agree with a lot of what you said here. You know, um, my same notes for Phoenix were, were exactly the same, you know, is looking to build towards the future. Because I mean, if you look at their remaining schedule uh, uh, for the for the bubble, even that doesn't have a lot of um, a lot of room for lateral improvement, because you're playing Washington, you're playing Dallas is, is a game that 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 would be important that you could, you know, potentially help that's a near, near lower playoff team. But then you have the Clippers, the Pacers, the Heat, OKC. You're not playing Sacramento. You're not playing uh, many of the teams that are that are ahead of you, or in a realistic sense ahead of you, like you know, like Portland and things of that nature. So, for Phoenix, um, there's not really a lot of chance, which is why I understand the the less than one percent chance, and why I also kind of took this as an opportunity to look towards the future for them. And I'm glad that you brought up Cameron Johnson because he's a player that I've that I've liked. I've I've been um, I, I've liked him as sort of projecting forward. Like uh, everything that you state is very fair. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily move the ball well. He's got to improve on defense, and he also has to just be more uh, more than one dimensional and be able to dribble and attack the basket and do do things that today, unfortunately, six eight forwards are are regularly doing. So for him, I like I like that you're focusing on him because. I've loved the Aaron Baines Aiden fit. It's been just weird. It's been weird, but it's worked. It works pretty well. 
um, because Aaron Baines has expanded his his range. But uh, Cameron Johnson is a more ideal fit next to a guy like DeAndre and somebody that can space the floor. And if he can move the ball on the wings with Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, those options on the wing, um, that can really just open up the entire floor for um, for DeAndre Ayton because. When it comes to shooting, yeah, shooting helps space the floor. But if you're also if you're also not a ball mover or a ball mover, I should say, uh, you know that really that really limits a lot of the actions you can do with that player, and therefore it kind of shape it, it kind of changes the the geometry of the court and allows defenses to do certain things. So I'm glad that you brought up Cameron Johnson. He's really interesting to me. Um, he's one of the prospects that are that are the most interesting on Phoenix and. Um, I agree. I think I think you have to look for ways for him to improve either defensively or offensively, whether it's whether it's moving the ball or just dribbling and just adding more layers to his game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the teams before we before we get to um, before we get out of Phoenix or one of the things I should say about Phoenix is I do also. I do also like that this is coming back for them because of DeAndre Ayton in particular. Everybody's um, everybody's talked about his season with the suspension and the ankle injury. Um, you know, granted, this is only eight games. This isn't going to make or break his entire career. But this is such a when we think of it, it's so it's so un um, unprecedented the situation that they're in and I think that not only from just a pure developmental standpoint is Aiden going to be able to play more games and that and thus get better uh get better marginally but also this is like a huge experience of 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 players learning how to like take care of them really take care of themselves because they're going to be forced into a situation with this bubble where they're where they have to be very mature about the decisions they make, about you know what they're doing. They're going to be in an environment where it is laser focused on basketball. They're trying to shield them, these players, from the the quote unquote outside world. So um, I think that this is something that can have a tremendous impact on on Aiton and, and young guys in particular. Because how often do you hear stories, Tim, about these guys who? start you know halfway through their career after their second or third contract start eating right start losing some weight then they get into a much better shape and that helps prolong their career but if you do it earlier you know this is a you know it's going to it's going to be better so i think this this is a real opportunity for for these young players particularly a guy like deandre ayton who's been through some things in the last year uh able to to really grow and mature that's a really good point chris i i hadn't really thought about I think you make a really great point about the guys down the road later in their career recognizing the things that they can do to really turn the corner for their health and their game. And I hadn't really thought about how this would be a great opportunity for something like that. It could it could just take a spark. And this is the perfect opportunity for these guys. Outside world cut out much better i mean if they're not already doing it this is an easy way to control what's going into their bodies and and what they're doing when they're off the court from a practicing and partying or making good or bad decisions standpoint this could be the chance for a guy like ayton and and, i mean devin booker i don't have anything negative to say about him in any of these regards but for any of these players if they're not already making those decisions and, and i can't 
speak to the diets of any of the Suns players. Right. Um, but if any of these guys could really see this as the opportunity it is to be the jump start into a longer term dedication and commitment to themselves, especially for a team like this, that they'll be playing in some competitive games, but they're probably, I mean, in all likelihood, they're not making the playoffs. Yeah. So if they can take something away from this experience and that could be it, that would be something that could have longer term consequences and can help us see a better DeAndre Ayton next year or a better Devin Booker next year, as opposed to if the season had just gone on the way it had and ended and we didn't have this bubble situation. Yeah. All right, let's jump to the Sacramento Kings, who are currently three and a half games out of the last playoff spot. They have no players currently opting out at this moment. Um, my interesting thought, Tim, I'll start here because I was looking through their, I was looking through a lot of their their rankings because selfishly, I'll admit I I haven't watched the most Kings games this season, and it's been it's been longer than three months since I watched the Sacramento Kings game, but. Uh, I, I paid attention and I looked at you know how they're how they're 18 to 19th in net ratings on defense and offense for the season, but they've been 11th and 13th in the last 15 games, 10 in overall net rating at that time. So they have shown improvement. They're winning more games, um, but they're still just 17th in pace. And I know you and I, Tim, uh, immediately as I was prepping for this podcast, I thought back to our conversations about about Luke Walton and about just the Sacramento Kings last year managing their their pretty high expectations after after a great season last year for them but um the fact that we killed them for being slow in pace they're still 17th in pace but they are improving as the season has progressed so are we wrong in assuming that this Sacramento Kings should be a a, a high pace uh team they should be and it's going to take some I don't want to say commitment from the coaching staff, but I, I think the numbers, if you look at them, make it pretty clear which players they have that do push the pace, which mm-hmm. ones don't push the pace. Somebody in the 94th percentile in, in the pace impact estimates that we use at B-Ball Index that shows when this player's on the court, are they speeding the pace up? There? Are they slowing it down? De'Aaron Fox is one of the guys who, when you throw him out there, he's pushing the pace. And yeah. he's also somebody who's been a key player for this team, a key leader, has one, two, three, four, five, six. He has eight badges in our badge system, which I think is tied for fifth of all players. Um, incredibly talented guy, uh, has had a good offensive impact this year, but he's had less gameplay consistency on a game-by-game basis if you look at his box plus minus. Lower than 99% of players. And his mm. minutes consistency has been lower than 98% of players. So part of that is him. Part of that is what I, as a Lakers fan, saw with Luke Walton and his coaching staff in L.A. where they would treat their young players who they felt had promised, whether it be Julius Randle or like a D'Angelo Russell, those kinds of guys, they would often yank them or treat them in ways that you won't see other coaching staffs treat them and just bench guys for whole quarters because they they do something that wasn't part of the game plan. Those sort of punitive measures may have their place in coaching and and teaching, perhaps. But at this point in time, they need to all be locked in, and Luke Walton's staff need to 
buy into what De'Aaron Fox brings to the team, live with the mistakes he's going to make because he's still a young player, and let him be on the court to not just make some mistakes and learn from them, but also be able to provide the immense value that he does to this team. I think that is going to be be just a key difference maker for them. That'll help them push the pace. If you look at, uh, on the other end of things, one of the guys that would directly benefit from Fox not playing is Corey Joseph. And he is in the second percentile, lower than 98% of NBA players at his pace impact estimate. Hmm. So, you know, cut out the fat there, get rid of the guy who's, uh, slowing the pace down a lot more, add in Fox. Um, I, I'm also writing an article right now uh, about how you can use our player profiles to look at some of the Laker players. And something I found during during that research was that Corey Joseph, looking at the contributions he has offensively compared to how often he actually has the ball in his hands, had he had one of the largest discrepancies of any player in the league. So this is somebody who's really dribbling the ball, dribbl- dribbling the air out of the ball which isn't something I had noticed because, again, I'm a Laker fan. I haven't watched a ton of Kings this year. But if you can take that out and put Fox in and just live with the mistakes he's going to make and let him be the player he is, worry about you know worry about improving in the offseason, but this is your chance. Go for it. Try to make the playoffs. I think that would be the spark that the Kings could use to, to really turn this around. Hopefully they're running better plays. I know we've talked about that before in my – my frustrations with uh, Luke Walton and his staff there. And Buddy Heald, another guy who we've talked about, I think he's being yeah. used incorrectly. If they can use him more off-ball, running off of screens, he's a great three-point shooter, has almost every three-point shooting badge my site has, and would be somebody that can r- really be a difference maker for them if they can get him and Fox going together on-ball, off-ball, working off of each other. I, th- I think they should have a chance. And this can be a really fun team. I just want to see the coaching staff let them be fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I feel like so I, I I only gave hesitation just because I am seeing internal progress with the Kings. Like, again, their their numbers are going up. Their offense is getting better. Their defense is getting better um, in the last 15 games. And, and their pace is maintaining the same. But... Yeah, I I agree. Just naturally, naturally thinking that this is a this is a team that benefits best with De'Aaron Fox with the ball in his hands and is playing a high in a high pace. And I think that I think that a lot of the the frustrations you spoke on with Luke Walton and um and, and his his player management and just and just play play management as far as as far as drawing up um, looks on offense and all that could definitely uh could definitely improve so i think i think the kings are just uh they're they're in a they're they're in a state where they're just trying to figure out their identity and i never would have thought that that was an issue one year ago right like if we went to one year ago today when it's the off season and we talked about how oh the sacramento kings they they were one of the best stories last year right they're incredible <laughs> Their incredible season, and you know you got it. All right, fast paced. De'Aaron Fox, you got a lot of young guys. Uh, they can, you know, they can use a. They could use some more. Uh, they could use some more developing as far as their own individual skills, but collectively as a team, they seem to have this identity going forward. And you know, here we are a year later, and it feels like they're just in this struggle. And that's something that I wouldn't have thought, and I don't think you would have thought that a year ago. Yeah, I wouldn't have. And, and this is something that 
we did talk a little bit about and, and kind of see uh, on the horizon with with Walton and his staff coming off of those expectations, like we mentioned before. Uh, but but I don't know. I mean, the pieces that fell into his lap, I think, make for an easy space, uh, pace and space sort of offense. Yep. They've got the guys that can push the ball. They have a bunch of three-point shooting. The lineup spacing, our, our lineup spacing estimate stat has these Kings lineups for a lot of these guys towards the top of the league in, in the top 10 percentile. Um, so they should have a lot of space based off of how good of three-point shooters they have and how often they're shooting. It's just about actually putting the bodies where you need them to be mm-hmm. to make that space be realized and then take advantage of it through that high pace driving to the rim, which, again, is something that your best player or your, your probably leader on your team, De'Aaron Fox, can do. Yeah, and and that's another thing too that you that you mentioned. I'm glad your stats point that out. Is um, the fact that like everybody mentions, you know, oh, Buddy Heald and and De'Aaron Fox, but they only play on average since since he's moved to the bench 13 minutes a game together. They don't really play together that much. And so you're right. It's about I think plugging the right guys because they have they have so much shooting on that team they have so much spacing on that team it's it's really incredible that um that they can they can do a lot of very interesting things but but um the way the way their 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 rotations have been structured i think does hinder that a lot so i'm glad that you're i'm glad that your data supports that yeah they they have guys who have weaknesses but also Mm -hmm. have a good number of strengths and their coaching staff has seemed to really pinpoint anytime Buddy Heald or De'Aaron Fox make mistakes and use that to punish their playing time. And it's not the right approach, I think, to take with young players to get them to enjoy playing for you and enjoy playing for each other and have fun and get better. It's so much more of like a punitive uh, Mm -hmm. culture and environment when you go about things that way. And I think the coaching staff just needs to reflect, look at the cards they've been dealt and realize that if they play their hand right, they've got a pretty good hand. Um, it's, it's not the best, but they can make the most of it and at least have a fun brand of basketball. That is something that you may not be winning, but if you can brand your team as we're going to run, we're going to gun, we're going to get your guys into space and we're going to let them be them best, their best selves, that's the type of thing you can use to pitch free agents after the season is over a hundred percent and the sacramento kings i'll be very interested to see because i think they have a real shot at the playoffs so their remaining schedule for the eight games uh just uh, just in case anyone doesn't know is san antonio orlando dallas new orleans twice brooklyn who's without most of their team houston and uh their last game is the lakers who again that could be a game where you see a lebron rest or or anthony davis rest so with that being said, Sacramento has a really good shot, I think, at making the playoffs, in, in my opinion. And I'll be I'll be very interested to see uh, see what kind of Sacramento Kings team we get coming back. But let's jump to the Clippers now because the Clippers are really really interesting to me, and for for several reasons that we've talked about. We talked about them extensively on the last podcast, so I kind of want to I kind of want to take it a different direction. Um, they are 44 and 20. They are they are five and a half games back of the Lakers for the first seed, and 
they've had they've had no players opt out at the moment. There was a talk about Lou Williams, but uh, but it's ultimately believed that he's going to play. And my my thought for them is we talked about this throughout the whole year, especially on the last pod about how they about how they they just they never had enough time to really string together uh, consistent time to uh, to build that chemistry and that foundation because there was Kawhi was hurt, then Paul George was hurt, and all of these injuries and and the fact that they wanted to play it slow and, and ramp up to the playoffs they were just starting to play together and then they also added Reggie Jackson Marcus Morris and now Jakeem Noah so they have they have these other new pieces that they've added to the roster now granted Jakeem Noah probably won't play neither will Reggie Jackson outside of very rare circumstances but um, still this Clippers team has made a lot of transactions they have a lot of moving parts that in theory fit great together but they haven't had that time and i know again that's something we discussed on the last podcast but my question to take it a little bit different direction is just what is their final eight nine man playoff rotation and do they have enough games to figure it out in these in these eight games like can they figure that out i think they have the opportunity to figure it out but something that they'll run into trouble with along with that is the fact that I don't think you're going to see the same brand of basketball in the final eight games from the teams that the Clippers really need to be worried about, which would be like the Lakers or, mm-hmm. or Milwaukee or Toronto. They're not going to be doing, they're not going to be playing their playoff basketball in, in their playoff, you know, rotations and approaches and schemes and all of that during that eight games. So I think the thing that I would be curious about with the Clippers is what do they do with their big man rotation? Because Ivica yep. uh, Zubats has been very strong this year. Excellent rim protector. He has a gold rim protector badge for us. But he is a guy that isn't really very good defending on the perimeter. He's not versatile. He has an F positional versatility rating for us defensively. And he's somebody that once we do get to that playoff basketball, I'm sure teams may try to go at. Um, and he's somebody that you know as a laker fan i got to see a a good bit of him in his time with la and he's more of like he plays within a phone booth he can move a little bit but he's not the most agile player Mm -hmm. so i think when you do get matched up with some of those elite teams they'll try to target that and play him off the floor if they can i don't know if they can and teams haven't done that so much during the regular season and i don't think they'll do it during these eight games but that would be something i'm worried about and if you do need to limit his minutes, you have Montrose Harrell, but then you don't really have much else for your big man rotation. Yeah. And that's where I think Noah might be somebody who maybe they'll get some value out of. Because other than that, they have Kevin Gale, Um, I absolutely butchered his name, uh, Jonathan Motley. And then like, who else do they have out there to throw? Um, I guess maybe Marcus Morris. Yeah, George, they want to go Kawhi really Leonard. wacky, like, yeah. yeah. Patrick Patterson, I guess, would be one, but figuring out what the four and five positions for them are going to look like on a playoff rotation, understanding that playoff basketball is different, I think is something that the Clippers need to figure out Mm -hmm. and haven't really been tested with while at the same time may not be able to be tested with over the eight games because it's just not the same type of basketball. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point about it being, for the Clippers, essentially very not consequential because you don't have the uh, the home court 
playoff battle that everybody was talking about, you know, uh, when, when LA, when the LA teams meet, you know, who's this going to benefit is, is these Clippers games, are they going to be Lakers games? You know, that was Mm -hmm. a, that was a real discussion. And so now um, the Clippers really aren't fighting for anything um, in the playoffs. They're, they're really just using these games to, to tinker and figure out what they, uh, what they need to improve on and where, what their rotation will be. And I like that you took it to the front court because that's exactly where I was going. I think the backcourt is mostly solidified. I think you're going to see, you know, Beverly, Lou Will, um, you know, like that, that backcourt is figured out. That's fleshed out. Um, it's, it's like you said, it's a front court because they all have their different uh, pros and cons. They have, they have essentially three different big men that do different things, you know, right? Like Zubac is perfect for when you're playing a team as big as the Lakers and, and size is a question for this Clippers team. Um, he's he's perfect because he's a he's a big man, but also at the same time, like you said, he can he can get exploited a lot in matchups. And then you have Montrez Harrell, who is uh, a better perimeter and team scheming defender, but at the same time is somebody who's also um, not that big. And you know, I mean, can we really? expect him to be able to guard Anthony Davis well for a seven game playoff series. Mm-hmm. And then you have Joachim Noah who is older, who does who who does a good hybrid if he's in good shape. I mean, we don't know. This guy is somebody that was that signed essentially a a 10 day and then a and then a contract for the remainder of the season. So, you know, I mean, putting a lot of faith in a player of that magnitude uh, is, is a lot because Joachim Noah 10 years ago, yeah, he fits beautifully on this team. A guy who can defend the perimeter, defend the paint, and move the ball and play make. Like, he fits perfectly with what the Clippers want to do. But is he still, what percentage of that player is he still? We don't really know. So the Clippers are very uh, in a very interesting position as far as as far as what they do the four i'm i'm a little less worried about you're right they still got to figure that out because like i said i think the majority of those minutes will be the um will be marcus morris Kawhi, paul george type um type minutes and then patrick patterson maybe even getting in there as well but the center is just really interesting because they have three centers and it's good it's a good problem to have to have different centers that do different that have different skill sets but come playoff time it's going to be it's going to be you know are the it might just end up being you know what the matchup is dictates who's playing and who's not this might be uh this might be a clippers team that plays throughout the course of the playoffs 11 12 guys depending series to series Mm -hmm. yeah i I think it may depend on matches matchups for them and i think bringing up harold is somebody who may like the clippers switch more often in wall mm-hmm. screens with Harrell than they yeah. do with Zubats. With Zubats, he's dropping yeah. deep, and that's about it. So even if you're not isolating against him, just running a pick-and-roll offense, I think there are opportunities there. If you have playmaking guards that can shoot those pull-up jumpers, mm-hmm. that's the type of big man that you can exploit with yeah. the coverage the Clippers play. Even though the Clippers switch a lot more than most teams. They're, they're probably among, mm-hmm. I would I don't know, I would guess the top eight or ten teams in terms of switching. But uh, th- with Zubats, they don't do that. With Harrell, they do it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And he is an excellent offensive rebounder. But his post defense and then also his uh, just defensive rebounding 
there's just a stark difference between yeah. between what he brings on the offensive end and defensive end. And I think mm-hmm. that's important to note because it's so easy for someone with the offensive rebounding uh, just reputation that he has to just assume that he's a good defensive rebounder. But when we look at his defensive rebounding, individually, his his success rate is very low. Once we, we have a metric at B-Ball Index that looks at the percentage of rebounds that are contested for him and how often his teammates box out and his positioning, how close he is to the basket and adjusting for all of those factors, he's still a really, really poor rebounder. He's in the bottom percentile. Um, and when you look at the team level, his presence on the court has led to worse defensive rebounding for the team more so than 70% of players. So bottom 30% for the team and bottom 10%, bottom 5% for his individual defensive rebounding. And that's something that Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and Anthony Davis are going to eat up. So I think the Lakers have a good matchup for him. I think against Zubats, they're going to be going at them with LeBron James pick and roll. Thankfully for the Clippers, the Lakers don't really have other guards that are going to be attacking off the dribble in the pick and roll. And the one guy that they did have that also did it was Avery Bradley, and he's gone now. Yeah. So that is a little bit more favorable for them. The Lakers are going to have to just pound that LeBron pick and roll game um, and hope to play Zubats off the court and then bully Harrell. Um, and then Noah is somebody who I think, if I'm remembering correctly, he would switch a little bit more than we see Zubat switch. But he's yeah. even, even a year or two ago, he wasn't somebody that I would feel super comfortable about in that position mm-hmm. as opposed to when he was in his prime. And, yeah. and now, having not played, I we really don't know what we're getting. And I would assume it's not substantially better than what we've seen from him last. So I think the Clippers have a lot of thinking to do. And I think you're right to say that it, they may go with a rotation. I'm sorry, a series-by-series uh, series rotation that mm-hmm. plays the matchups the best they can in their favor. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of last year's Toronto, right? A team that just is going to be a collection of it's it's got its core. Uh, you know, Toronto obviously had Kawhi and the Clippers have Kawhi, but um, the Clippers also have Paul George and these other dynamic ball handlers and, and, and just creators. But for the most part, it was it was a, a team of committee in Toronto. And, and it very much feels like that after you get past the Kawhi and the Paul George, which again, playoff style, they'll be, they'll be, they'll play different because the ball will be in those two hands a lot more. Um, but let's jump because this is a perfect transition to the Lakers who are the last team um, because of the, the thing you talked about in the series by series matchup and, and just what they can and can't exploit. Um, the Lakers are, at the top of the West, 49 and 14 before the basketball season ended. Uh, they are they only have, as of right now, Avery Bradley, who has decided to opt out. Um, Dwight Howard has recently stated that he, that he will play, um, which I know there was a lot of talk about Dwight Howard due to his earlier comments that he made, but he will, he will play and he will be uh, donating the rest of his salary for the uh for the black lives matter movement or for the i'm sorry it was the um i can't breathe campaign right Mm -hmm. i I believe so i'm not positive on that one yeah um so my initial thought and this kind of again bounces off of where where our last conversation went with the clippers is how often will the lakers be able to go big because if they go smaller often 
would that be the best strategy considering they played big all year? And by big, I mean putting Anthony Davis predominantly at the four. Anthony Davis has expressed that he likes the four better than the five. And so the Lakers have accommodated that and they've and they've gotten very great results. I think better results than most people anticipated with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard playing alongside of uh alongside of Anthony Davis. Um but it it just it's interesting because the Lakers and the Clippers, what it comes down to is which team is going to be the team that dictates the the adjustments, right? Like uh one of the things that I that I won't forget is that when Houston first made the trade and got Robert Covington and really went all in on their small ball, one of their first, I think it was their second or third game with the with the with the new team, they played the Lakers. And down the stretch of that game, the Lakers actually adjusted to Houston and went small. And now granted the Lakers won that game, but the point is that Houston was the one that dictated that LA would make the shift. And to me, it's really interesting because the, they are two different teams, the big L.A. versus the, quote-unquote, the, the the smaller, more modern L.A. with Anthony Davis at the five, LeBron presumably at the four. Um, you know, I just think I just think it's interesting to see, will the Lakers be the team that's dictating the change and the adjustments, or will it be their, uh, or will it be their opponent and they'll adjust to them? I think that... Uh, it's not the most important thing to me personally who is making the first move as long as you're able to adjust quickly. If the right. Lakers take two quarters or they take a whole game to adjust to something the Clippers are doing, that's not mm-hmm. going to bode well for them. But if they're able to, it, I don't know, if they play Houston, Houston goes small and they're small right away, which they have the ability to do. Yeah, Take away that advantage and you're good. If they're playing the Clippers and the Clippers go big, the Lakers can play the normal big lineup. If they go small, the Lakers can do it. As long as you are matching what the other team's doing or trying to do, um, or even when, when we talk about dictating it, that would be like with Houston, you can't really dictate them going big because they don't really have that anymore. Right. Um, but with the Clippers, I guess dictating them going, what would it be? I guess going small if the lakers are going small would be throwing anthony davis at the five running that pick and roll attacking the deep drops that you know you're going to get from zubats in the pick and roll and when he's dropping that deep and lebron is excellent at getting his man on his hip and then attacking downhill you might have great scoring opportunities or you just kick it out to ad who has been just an incredible three-point shooter ever since he has added a little rhythm hop almost he steps to the side every single time he shoots a three-pointer before he shoots the three-pointer and it's legal and it's been a muscle memory thing that he's done that has uh it really unlocked his three-point shooting and it's just remarkable how his percentages went up as soon as he started making that change um and this is something that over at silver screen and roll i think it's dr raj did a, a short video on it outlining here's the changes he made and here's how the data changed but what I'm trying to say is if AD is a legitimate three-point shooting threat, which on the full season he hasn't quite been, but over the past couple months he has been, if he can be that three-point shooting threat, you can't run those deep drops with Zubats and leave Anthony Davis wide open for threes all day. And the other guys the Lakers are going to have out there are going to be Danny Green, who can shoot, Alex Caruso, who might be the guy you end up living with shooting an open three, 
Um, But the Lakers might be okay with that. Also KCP. KCP, Markeith Morris. uh, The Lakers have the guys, if you do try to send extra help to help on that pop, they've got guys that can catch and shoot, and they've got LeBron freaking James as the playmaker in that situation, or Anthony Davis needing to make one more pass. So I think the Lakers are well-equipped. If they do decide to go small, they may be able to dictate the Clippers having to match that. And then if the uh, Clippers end up putting like a Harrell on Anthony Davis and put Zubats on the bench, I like that from the Lakers standpoint as well with Anthony Davis in the post offensively bullying Harrell on the glass. Um, So I I think the Lakers from that perspective, because I think that's really where we talk about dictating play with, Mm -hmm. with the teams in question is big or small. I think the Lakers are well equipped to do that. Whereas the Clippers on the other end, Based off of their offensive weapons, I'm not sure they're as well equipped to try to manipulate the other team's style of play. Whereas a Houston is somebody who they're they're built for that, but yeah. if it doesn't work, they're screwed. Right. Exactly. And you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that you put it that way and and really thoroughly thoroughly outlined that, especially the detail about Anthony Davis shooting the the um, three point shooting because that's a I think a very particular one and a very interesting interesting thought for the Lakers it's just when it comes playoff time how many people are they trusting to shoot the three and you know or how many how many players are teams allowing the Lakers to to shoot with are they allowing them to shoot with with um with Caruso are they allowing them to shoot with Davis you know like um all of that situation is very funny because the Lakers have had all year they've had this semblance of of three-point shooting just in in just it's it seemed very mysterious you know just how great of the shooting are they and you know the numbers will say one thing the eyes might say another thing or they might flip um it's very interesting to me their three-point shooting in particular just as a team but uh, I'm glad you brought that tidbit about Davis and and you're right about teams like the Rockets like the Rockets show their hand you know what you're getting from the Rockets whereas the Lakers are a little bit and the Clippers to most teams other than perhaps maybe the Lakers are um are able to kind of dictate uh or able to uh able to make the adjustments and all of that and that's what partly why I picked the Lakers to win the title is because of the fact that I think that they can go they can go big against the Clippers um or if they or if they do go quote-unquote small and have Anthony Davis at the five and the Clippers decide that Montrezl Harrell is their best bet I very much like that matchup for for the Lakers and then and then fast forward to maybe the finals if if it's Milwaukee who everybody projects is coming out of the east or the the biggest threat to come out of the east I like the Lakers uh I like the Lakers ability to kind of do what Toronto did last year and wall up now granted it's not as great of a wall as Marcus Ole, Kawhi Leonard, and Serge Ibaka, but the Lakers have the size to be able to really um, shrink the floor on, on on Giannis and make those lanes uh, make those lanes tougher for him than than most teams. So um, I I'm very interested by the Lakers. I'm very interested to see just what kind of uh, what kind of matchups they they go with in the playoffs because, like I said, I think they're a team that they played big for the most part throughout this whole year and they've they haven't really fully showed their hand with small so I wonder what that's going to be and if they're saving that or if they're preferring to play big or 
really what the Lakers are going to do. Just their, I guess, I, I guess it all boils down to identity, right? Part of it does. And speaking of identity and talking about Lakers and Milwaukee, something that the Bucks do better than anybody is defend the rim. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you were just talking about how the Lakers can try to do that same walling up and, and see if Milwaukee's able to overcome it in a way that they couldn't last year against Toronto. And they may not be able to. We've seen multiple years where the Bucks coaching staff hasn't been able to, in the playoffs, adjust tactically in a way yeah. to put them in a position to succeed. So I feel good from a coaching standpoint about the Lakers versus Bucks, but from a Bucks being elite at defending the rim and the Lakers being pretty good at getting to and finishing at the rim, I worry as a Lakers fan mm-hmm. about the Bucks walling up, having tons of length, having lots of really good defenders at the rim, defending ball screens, defending the perimeter, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis not being able to just run an easy pick and pop like you might be able to against the Clippers. And right. once the ball's out of LeBron's hands, I look at the data and I see a team full of non-playmakers. And looking at one of our assist metrics that looks at how many uh, high-volume assist uh, players are getting, which are assists for three-pointers, shots at the rim, or getting to the foul line. And taking a look at that and adjusting for how aggressive of passers they are and how long they hold onto the ball, LeBron James has the best rating of any player in the league. Then you have Rajon Rondo, who's a B plus, And then you have Markeith Morris, who's a C. And then you have nine players, no, eight players, I'm sorry, eight players for the Lakers that are between a D-plus and an F. And that is not a team full of ball movers and secondary creators that are able to take advantage of a scramble drill. So if the Lakers do get a drive, they drive to the rim, the Milwaukee walls up, and the Lakers need to kick it out, make a couple passes, and try to get a shot off, I feel okay about their shooting. I don't feel okay about the playmaking being decisive and accurate enough where one, they pick the right person to pass it to, to get a shot off and two, the pass is actually like on target and where it needs to be, you know, not just like I don't throw it into the stands, but throw it to their shooting pocket so they can actually get the shot off quickly. Because with Milwaukee's length, the time that you have to attack a scramble drill isn't very long. And the Lakers don't do a whole lot of uh, actions off the ball in their pick and roll situations. They've been better at it in post-ups, but in those pick and roll situations, schematically, the Lakers aren't doing themselves too many favors. So that might be a weakness of theirs that Milwaukee's defense can exploit. So that's something I'm worried about. I still like the Lakers' chances, but I think replacing Avery Bradley in the rotation and figuring out who's going to step up as a playmaker are the two things for, for LA that, as a Lakers fan, I'm concerned about and will be keeping an eye on. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up with Avery Bradley because um, that is a very underrated part of his game was not only what you just brought up now about his playmaking, but also uh, what you brought up earlier when we were talking about the Clippers and ability of players that can attack the the dropping big. And Avery Bradley was great at that, the way he would hit and just get that little elbow mid-range jumper off. Um, he, He was very good at that. So that is something that, you know, it... It is, and he was also arguably their best on-ball uh, perimeter defender for the year, too. So there is a lot to replace with it. However, I'm confident that among the, the parts that they got, that they can replace uh, they can replace enough of that. Plus, when it comes to uh, playoff basketball, you know, there's also the natural 
shift in, in focus as far and you know this as far as going to um, your LeBron James's, your Anthony Davis's more than more than uh, in in the regular season where sometimes you're running some set plays, you're you're giving LeBron a playoff and and letting you know Avery do a pick and roll. Uh, those opportunities shrink a little bit in the playoffs and um, uh, or those uh, those amount of plays I should say the number of those shrink so uh, the Lakers are very interesting like you said the playmaking also very very interesting from a team perspective who's going to step up there but man oh man is this going to be a great great uh, playoffs I'm I'm super hyped the more I've the more I've sat with this and you know started to just I guess, quote unquote, accept the fact that basketball is coming back. I'm I'm starting to get so excited to just get into these little rabbit hole discussions that we're having here about about pick and roll drop coverages and <laughs> secondary playmaking and all that, man. It's, basketball is back, man. I'm feeling good. Yeah, man. And here's another one for you. The Lakers, just like you were saying, get to the playoffs, a LeBron James team, they're going to be going after mismatches and trying mm-hmm. to for switches and all of that, Milwaukee, at least in the scheme uh, evaluating, like we're, we're estimating the schemes that teams are using, we would say that Milwaukee, and I think the eye test backs this up, Milwaukee switches less than anybody. So the Lakers are trying to get those switches and trying to abuse those switches against poor defenders. And Milwaukee, one, doesn't switch, and two, yeah. doesn't really have too many poor individual defenders to just like go after so the normal default lebron james playoff playbook may not be like like this isn't a team that would be susceptible to that and it's still going to work a good bit because you've got lebron but it's not going to be easy so figuring out what your number two and three and four options for the lakers are going to be i think is going to be critical not just in players but the, the types of attacks that you use um so Figuring that out, um, especially with how good at defending the rim Milwaukee is. I don't know if you just go yeah. close up Anthony Davis. I don't know how yeah, do you much of an that? advantage he gets. And he won't be able to get mismatches because they don't switch. Yeah. So it, it causes a lot of issues. And the Lakers are going to need to be creative to uh, make the most of it. Yeah. And, man, I can't wait. I'm I'm hoping we get the Lakers-Bucks finals. We'll see what we get. But, man, the bottom line is basketball is back, baby. It's You're, you're writing articles. you we're we're doing podcasts, man. We're getting back into the swing of things, and uh, you know it's it's gonna feel good to have some semblance of uh, of sports and and especially just a, a little bit of normalcy. I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, what exactly everything's gonna look like, which we talked about in the last podcast. We don't need to talk about that again, but man, I'm just I'm just getting excited for basketball to come back. <laughs> Me too, man. It's it's going to be fun. And I know I mentioned it last time I was on, but for the first time in a while, I'm going to have like individually a vested interest in my own team competing. So that's, I'm excited for that. And uh, I don't know, hope, hopefully everybody has a bunch of fun. Hopefully they're able to overcome all the challenges that we talked about last time around safety and the environment and the atmosphere and all of that. But basketball is back and uh, I'm ready for it. Yeah, me too. I don't know about a vested interest as a Piston fan. I don't know what that feels like, what that seems like, but man, I'm happy for you, Tim. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I always greatly appreciate you. Glad to know that you're doing all right in these times and um, keep doing what you're doing. And we'll be talking, we'll, we'll be talking Lakers Clippers over the next couple months now as the NBA season's back. 
Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Chris. If uh, if anybody was interested in any of the those random stats I was throwing out, you can check those out over at the Basketball Index site. Um, find it on Twitter. Find me on Twitter. Just Tim underscore NBA. I'm just tweeting out numbers all day long. So uh, if oh, yeah. you like that sort of thing, check those out, and you can play around with our player profiles and our leaderboards tools and all that stuff. Um, I know I was in prepping for this, and as we were going, just really quickly able to just pull stuff up and rattle it off. So. Go check those out. Win the arguments with your friends. Write some good articles um, and, and, and enjoy the game. Absolutely. Well said, Tim. Take care of my guy. I'll talk to you soon, all right? Sounds good.